At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. With that confidence that he is near and he is working, that we have nothing to fear, we can open the word with great anticipation that he has something special for us today. Uh, the book of James, a book of wisdom filled with insight into things that are higher than what this world will suggest to us. This is heavenly wisdom. This is eternal truth. And as we begin, can I just say that I really enjoy the church? I really do. Um, I thank God that I'd, I had parents that raised me in the church, in the faith, and they modeled for me a authentic spirit of, of worshiping Jesus, and so I watched it in them, and um, as I began to serve him as an adult in the church, we started uh, in Iowa, we served four years there in the town of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I saw just some beautiful things as the church worked really hard, um, just a small group of people uh, in that community there, and then we transitioned uh, to Port Huron and spent about 16 years they're learning what it means to serve in the community and, and God's love for the nations. And then God called us to Woodside. And for the past 13 years, we've been serving with him here at Woodside. And, and in every step along the way, there's plenty of evidence that, that the church isn't perfect. Just like when I got married, I knew that I wasn't marrying a perfect person, and yet there is, there's so much beauty there in the church, and I'm so much better because I've been able to experience that influence of the church. And through those years, really these past whatever that adds up to, 30 years, some years or whatever, um, I've been able to see the church in a lot of different colors and, and cultures and circumstances. I've been able to worship him with the church in Mexico, in Indonesia, in Liberia, in Ukraine, in Algonac, and all these extreme places in the world. And I've been able to see so many things about God in his work. And one of the things that I've been able to see, that the work of God is not limited by a level of material wealth. That God's hand isn't shortened when the bank account is. That when the buildings are bigger, God has, can do more. That is not what I found. I found that God can work in the midst of a church that is experience, experiencing terrible, from the world's point of view, terrible poverty. And I've seen him work in a church that experienced unequal wealth. I've seen a church that has no favor in a culture 
is from, from, the, from the government side and the societal authorities. And yet I've seen the church grow and explode in its influence to people around them. And I've seen churches that have favor and community, and for some reason God's blessed them with extraordinary finances, and I've seen them use those finances to spread his fame, to multiply churches, to plant churches, to strengthen the church and communities, and to do extraordinary things around the world. And I've been amazed that God works in all circumstances. Now, I should have picked this up early on because one of those concepts in Scripture that's just kind of easy to hear, sometimes hard to, to really embrace, but, but it's Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, I have learned in all conditions to be content. I've learned to be in want, and I've learned to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when I've seen that throughout the church around the world, it would be very wise for me to look then in the mirror in whatever circumstance I am in to be absolutely convinced that God is not limited in the work that he wants to do based on whether I'm in a situation where I know how it's all going to work out or whether I don't, or I'm not. Whether I'm in a circumstance where I can see how my bills are going to be paid when I'm laying at night and suddenly all those things start coming at me that because of what he's allowed me to see in the world through his church, I should be able to just push those thoughts aside and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because if I'm in a situation where, where there's a lot of pressures coming at me, God's going to work there. And if I'm in a situation where I can see how all those things are going to be taken care of, I know God's going to work. I can do all things through Christ. And especially when his word says so clearly that we can be content in all circumstances. I should embrace the reality that we can walk with confidence as children of God. We have a Father in heaven who knows and he will provide. And that's a bit of the foundational wisdom that James gives to us here in this first chapter. As we look at some of the major concepts in the book of James. James is kind of like Proverbs where you don't go to chapter 1 and find out one thing. You go to chapter 2 and find out something else. It's kind of scattered throughout the book. When it comes to our perspective, our, our affluence or poverty, you see this in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Of the book of James. So we want to look at what maturing faith will do with what we have. And we will find, as we look at this concept in the book of James, that a maturing faith, I know that the outline says mature faith. I would change that to a maturing faith, because who has mature faith? Yeah, sometimes you think, yeah, I'm a pretty mature, no, no I'm not. But if I can keep progressing, that's what I want. So a maturing faith will keep my possessions and my level of affluence or poverty in its proper place. 
So if you're with me in the book of James, chapter 1, look with me at verse 9. It's a short verse, and it helps us see that our poverty does not define us as we stand in Christ. It says simply this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the believer, the brother or sister, one who's placed their faith in Jesus and yet experiences economic hardship, let that brother or sister have confidence or boast in his exaltation. James is using a word in the Greek language that was used primarily to describe someone of low socioeconomic status. This is someone who you would maybe say lives in poverty. This is someone in a class system that would live in that lower class, would have no hope of having any government office, no hope of having any significant influence in a culture. Somebody who a human culture, like they often do, look down on people that don't have maybe that human influence. James says, what I've learned as I've spent time with Jesus, and it's His Holy Spirit has taught me, I've learned that the lowly brother can boast in his exaltation. As a learner of Jesus, James, stepbrother of Jesus, one that had followed him, he had experienced that the low in society does not mean low in the kingdom of God. He heard Jesus describe himself, come unto me, because I am meek and lowly. It's the same word used here in James, where Jesus said, I'm the lower class. I'm part of the poor. So come to me. If you're burdened, come to me. Because I don't have anything. Because <laughs> I'm poor. If you have a need, remember the disciples when they had to pay taxes and had nothing? They came to Jesus and said, what do we do about that? And Jesus said, yeah, come to me with your problems because I'm meek and poor. What in the world was Jesus describing when he gives himself such a title? James would use this word certainly to describe an economic status, but he, like Jesus and like most of the writers of the New Testament, transitioned the use of that word, which in the Greek culture was used just to say this person is poor materially. These writers of Scripture use that same word to describe someone's spirit and attitude. Where Jesus used this word when he says, Blessed are the poor. For they shall see the kingdom of God. In other words, blessed are those that are poor, lowly, economically struggling because they're going to be kings and queens. They'll experience the kingdom. So James begins to use this word to say, oh, you know what? From what I've learned from Jesus, if you embrace this, this reality that you are lowly, you can have confidence that you'll be exalted. Because Jesus said the poor are kings. The poor are queens. So James seems to take a combination of, of this word and take the use of an economic situation. He's literally speaking to people that are struggling financially. 
And he superimposes upon that an attitude of heart, of poverty in spirit, lowly in spirit. And later, in chapter 4, we'll say, God resists the proud but gives grace to the poor in spirit. So you can boast in your exaltation. If you will embrace this reality of both being limited materially, but humble and meek in your spirit, you can know that that's the perfect situation for God to exalt. You see, our identity is not found in our economic status. It's not found in the level of our bank account. It's not found in what type of job you have. Our identity is found in Jesus, in his work, that we're part of his royal family, cleansed, empowered, gifted, exalted, not exalted over people, but over anything that comes against us. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said that God has blessed all of us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That every one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus can honestly say, you have everything you need to accomplish all that God wants you to do. So you don't have to cower in fear and sit in the back or off in the corner because maybe you don't feel as gifted as other people. Maybe you don't feel as economically worthy as someone else. There's when you place a gift in the offering plate, you, you maybe have this fear that, well, it's just, it won't even make a difference. It won't make a dent into what the mission of God really costs as we serve him here. You, you can push those aside because God's word says that a lowly spirit is exalted, that you have everything you need to accomplish all that he is calling you to do. James says that your economic and social status does not define you, but you are defined by your identity in Jesus. The world will look down on some, but the love of God is generous towards those who put their hope in him. James 2 verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor who are in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Here he's speaking towards those in the church that can get caught up in the cultural mindset that says, well, because I can give a little more, because I have a bigger house, because I'm a little more successful and I've made better decisions financially, because I'm, I'm here socioeconomically. James says, don't think for a moment you have any entitlement to look down on anyone else. James says, don't you dare look down on them because don't you know that those who are in even a socioeconomic low status are perfectly positioned to have greater faith? And don't you know that without faith, you can't please God? So who is better in place to have a life full of faith? James seems to indicate it's those in the kingdom who are in a lower socioeconomic state. You say, well, how could James say that? Because aren't we all equal? Well, why? how could Jesus say it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than it is for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle? 
James had picked up of this teaching from Jesus that actually when you are in a position where you don't know how it's all going to work out, you are in a beautiful position to place greater faith in God. Which is why you can explain how the American church and the Western culture where there's religious liberties and you keep voting for as do I, you keep fighting for and worrying, stay up late at night because our religious liberties are leaving us, where it's in our culture that the church continues to shrink, where you go into cultures where there is no favor in government, it's not even legal to gather like we are today, and it's exploding in its impact. Why? Because when things are easy, it's hard to have faith. But when we're in a situation of challenge, we're brought to the point that all we can do is look to him. And he says, that's the kind of person I love to come alongside and help. I don't say that to say we shouldn't fight for religious liberty. It's just we need to use it and, and recognize that it's not because of our liberties from a government that gives the church power, but it's the power from Christ that supersedes anything the government would say. I got an email from my friend, Pastor Eager, uh, this morning. You could hear his burdened spirit. He's in Ukraine. I'm sorry, Pastor Eager Pastors in Ukraine. Woodside has, a, has had a partnership with him. He's been here in Algonac. Um, some of you have met him. And he's so grieved over the situation in Ukraine and sees the forces of, of Russia creeping in. And from, from his perspective, the people are assuming that that southern and eastern region of Ukraine will be taken over by Russia. Now, maybe some other newspaper reporters have talked to other people that say they're not concerned, but Pastor Eager is concerned. And so as I prayed for him at 6.30 this morning when I got that email, I prayed that he would have boldness and courage and confidence in a mighty God that will work regardless of whether a secular and communist leader will rule their country or whether there will be free religious freedoms. Regardless, where there's the people of faith, there's the power of God. Now, we're not in Ukraine, we're here, but you know, some of you feel that same kind of oppression creeping at your door. And maybe you're, maybe you're, Poverty you're feeling is a poverty of physical health. Some of you maybe feel a poverty of relationship where you just don't feel affirmation from people. Some of you are in phys financial poverty. We don't know how these things are going to be met. Can I just say to you from the words of James and the power of the Holy Spirit that you are not limited by any of these things that come against you. If you are in poverty, if you are feeling lowly right now, just know that you can boast in your exaltation because that's what God says will happen. If you trust in him and place your faith in him, if you come to him with a lowly spirit, you can boast in your exaltation because God will fight the proud, the self-reliant, but he gives grace to the humble. And those of you that feel confident and feel like things are going well, don't you dare look down on those people that are struggling because their faith is in a perfect position to grow. And that's what God honors in his kingdom.
So every single one of us in the family of God can be confident in his promise to bless us with everything we need to serve him. Second, the next verse makes clear that our prosperity doesn't define us. In verse 10 it says, And let the rich man boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James now writes to those who are experiencing prosperity. Those who have the means that live with choices and opportunities and affluence. Those that have extra. Those who have to, live in a culture maybe that has to keep building storage units because we have so much stuff. Our houses that are bigger than any house in all around the world still aren't big enough to contain all of our stuff. He's writing to us. And he says to us, don't bank on your wealth. Don't trust in your things or your financial security. Remember, it's temporary. It's like the grass and the flowers in a scorching heat. They wilt and wither so quickly. Remember, James had heard the parable from Jesus of the of the rich man that looked at all his produce and said, my barns aren't big enough. What should I do? I know, I'll big build bigger barns. I'll build bigger barns and put my stuff in there and I can sit back and relax because finally, I'm secure. Jesus said, so the Spirit of God spoke to that man and said, you fool, you've put your treasures and things on the earth. This night, your soul will be required of you. And that night, the man lost it all. James learned from that parable, and he writes to the church and says, Let the rich not boast in his riches. Let him boast in humiliation. Boast in the fact that whatever we possess is temporary. That whatever, if we're putting our security in something tangible, something we can attain and acquire, then know that it's simply a movement in the stock market or a housing market that can change it all. It can be a cataract arrest or a stroke that would cause you to leave it to someone else. Know that whether it's a financial recession or a tragic accident, our wealth is fleeting he says, let that humble you because you want to be in a place where God can exalt you. So let those who are rich, those who have things, not put your trust in those things. Instead, position yourself with the spirit of lowliness and humility, realizing that any security you have that is true security is from the Father. And the Father loves to exalt those that are trusting in Him. Your status is not based on your material wealth. It's based on your identity as a child of God. So he gives warning to those that sit in a chair in a worship center and, and are so pleased with themselves because of how much they've been able to give. He says, no, no, it's not that. Be grateful that God has given to you. 
and let your generosity come from that spirit of reliance on him. It's interesting to see how Paul addresses the rich in 1 Timothy chapter 6 because sometimes you can read these verses and think, well, I should just get rid of all my stuff and give it all to the poor, give it all away, and I should live in poverty. And there's even some who have taken this teaching to an extreme and have equated financial poverty with godliness. And the more poor you live, the more godly you are. And I'm not sure we can come to that conclusion. Listen to how he teaches uh, Timothy to teach the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, For the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He doesn't say don't be rich because that's terrible. He says if you are, realize that God brought you to that status and put your trust in God, not in the status, and use the status to care for others. Consider the life of uh, really a hero of the faith in our time, uh, R.G. Letourneau. Some of you are familiar with his story, that over his lifetime, he secured over 300 patents in earth-moving equipment and, and soon became a multimillionaire. But as he began to experience success as a believer in Jesus. He committed himself to experiencing any affluence with a humbleness in Christ. And so he began his, his successful career with the thought, not of how much can I earn to keep, but how much can I earn to give. He was able to live on 10% of his income and give 90% of his wealth away through his, through his lifetime. And then you consider uh, a church that I told you about from eastern India, a group of churches that live in what we would describe as terrible poverty. And yet, as they worshiped the Lord and they experienced the generosity of God, they sought his heart and what they could do for the world. And a couple of households came up with this idea of, well, if we start our week with taking a, a cup full of rice and we set that aside, and when we come to worship, we just give that to the Lord. Maybe God can use that. That's all we have. And so they began to do that. They faithfully would bring a cup of rice that they had saved from the beginning of the week, and they would bring that to worship. And that began to spread throughout their congregation and, and then throughout other congregations and other villages. And, it was, and within a matter of time, at the word of the report that I got, in the previous year, they were able to give $14 million worth of rice for the sake of the kingdom of God and for those that are experiencing poverty. These were impoverished people saying, all I have is a cup of rice, but we're going to commit that, beginning our week, believing that God will sustain us if, we're, if we live without one cup of rice. God will sustain us, but God can multiply this and use for his kingdom. And in that year, they, they sent out 1,800 church planters, and they funded 
those churches and they cared for the poor in their community. So we probably find ourselves somewhere between these churches in eastern India who all we have is our rice. We're somewhere, we're not probably there and we're probably not here with Laterno who could give millions of dollars a year into the Christian ministry. We're somewhere between here. And James says to you, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, no, you can rejoice that your identity is in Christ and he will provide for everything that you need. That you can be rich in good deeds. You can be a part of his mission. That God has equipped you with something or some things to further his mission into the world. So don't sit back in a corner thinking you don't have anything to bring. Instead, step forward and be a part of the work that he wants to do. Because God can do a multitude with a young boy's lunch. Or he can do a multitude with a billionaire's income. But if it's brought to him with a spirit of lowliness, he's free to do a mighty work. There's one more verse in chapter 1 that's supported throughout the rest of the book, and that is verse 27, where he tells us that in Christ, people are more valuable than possessions. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He makes this summary statement about the application of true Christianity, that a mark of truly following Jesus is not the ability to recite a doctrinal statement, nor is it attendance at church events or programs or a level of volunteering, but he gives a, a twofold description of what it means to follow Jesus when, he, when the rubber meets the road. He says, number one, it's helping and caring for the poor and the helpless. He says, real religion, you get down to what's it mean to truly love God and love one another. It's caring for those that can't, that can't return the favor. Widows and orphans in that day were utterly helpless and required the care from the community. And he says, if you're about that, if you're about caring for people that can't return the favor, that can't grow your church or other such things. They can't do anything to build you. You're just going to care for them. This is the beginning of what pure religion is. Now, I just I want to say thank you to our Friday ladies Bible study that have faithfully reached out to the residents of Metal Lodge um, just north of us and how they've visited there and cared for them. They've done craft projects. They've done... Um, different expressions, and they've got plans for the future just to come alongside of them, those residents that would love to get out and just think of the season they've been through these past 22 months. Some of you know because you have family there or places like it where they can't have visitors and such things. Just imagine how lonely those places are. And thank God for ladies that say, well, we know that that's not going to do anything for our bottom line as a church or anything like that, but they're desperately in need of care and compassion, so we want to be there for them. 
I thank God for just some quiet people in our community, some of are in our church, that fill the blessing boxes that you see around here. Have you noticed them? There's about six of them scattered throughout. There's one right outside in the hall, uh, the, the sidewalk out here. It's just a box that's been put there, and strangers, generous people just come alongside and fill them with non-perishables so that any time, 24 hours, seven days a week, if somebody needs food, there's food available to them. They don't have to check in. They don't have to sign in. They don't have to be accountable. If they, if they need food, food is available to them, quietly caring for the needs of people. But James also includes this call to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, some people utilize a, a, a compassionate lifestyle to justify and maybe help themselves not feel so bad about living a life that they know is not honoring to God. James says, no, you can't, you can't do that. To follow Jesus requires you live generously and embrace whatever status you're in. Because you're in Christ, you have the means to care for the helpless. Also, it means that you as a follower of Jesus seek to pursue personal holiness because you don't want anything in your life to wrongly reflect who Jesus is. And James, again, was a disciple of Jesus, so he saw it in action. He saw Jesus, who is the richest being in all of what is. Not consider that riches something to be clung to, but he emptied himself and came to earth amongst broken people that were utterly helpless in their condition. And Jesus came to obey his Father and serve them even to the point of death as he gave himself for them. But he also saw a Jesus that although the religious and the enemies of Jesus could accuse him of many things, one thing they could not accuse him of was an impure life. Oh, they could accuse him of eating with sinners and spending time with people that society had looked down on, but they couldn't accuse him of sin. He was tempted in all ways, but, but never sinned. He was funny, but not off color. He was magnetic and attractive to people, but not in compromise and belittling others. Jesus lived a life of holiness that rightly reflected the purity of who he was as the Son of God, and yet he lived perfectly generous towards those that were helpless. And James says, here's what I found. To really follow Jesus requires generosity and holiness. He says, so the key is, let's follow Jesus. As Christians, let's be cultural leaders in our community. On this, on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, the church should be leading the way and caring for those helpless, even in development as well as those helpless. At the end of life, we should be leading and advocating for them. The church should be the ones that are seeking racial harmony and equality because we're all created in the image of God. But the church should also be living as examples of right, holy living. There should be a difference by how we live. 
So we're not pursuing a destructive life. We're pursuing a productive life in a way that rightly reflects who God is. So James' wisdom is this. Don't let your financial status create any sense of identity in you other than embracing the spirit of humility and recognizing that God is your source of strength. And because he blesses us with every spiritual blessing, step forward and use it for his glory. You're important to his kingdom. You're an important member of his family. You're important to the church. We need you. God wants you to experience the joy of being a royal prince and princess in his kingdom. And let's live lives that are holy and generous for him. So I don't know what God's saying to you specifically. Maybe he's saying to some here that you've been taking too much security in your stuff, and I know that because when it starts to be threatened, you freak, you freak out. And when you're wondering how things are going to work financially, you panic. It tells me that your trust hasn't been fully in the Father. It's been in, in stuff. So maybe to you, he's saying, would you return to me? Would you return to me? Bring to me your requests, but then leave them with me and don't keep dwelling on them and laying awake at night over them. Trust me. Hand them to me. Maybe some have been finding your security or lack of security, been embracing a lack of security in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've, maybe you've caught up into this thought that I'm, it's other people that should be serving, not me. It's other people that should be investing, not me. I don't have enough. Can I just say to you, you have every spiritual blessing to do all that God wants you to do. Father, I don't know what you want each one of us to hear today. I know you want us to hear affirmation from you as our Father that says you are sufficient for us. I know you want us to hear a spirit of humility. You want us to trust in you to be confident in you and not in ourselves and our own status and what we've accomplished or accumulated. I know you want us to love one another more generously, to place greater faith in you. But Lord, would you just hone in on what you want each one of us to hear from you? Even as we sing the journey of life that brings us into places where we are fully dependent on you. Lord, reveal to us what area of life we need to bring to you. Speak to us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand together. Let's listen as we sing. Let's respond in confidence that he is a God that we can trust and we can follow no matter where he leads us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.